to another episode of The Extras. My name is Candy. Hey, I'm Peter. And we've got some questions here from Sunday each week. We film a podcast and we answer questions that you have sent through on a Sunday from the sermon. Over the past Sunday, Peter, what did we cover? Yeah, so last Sunday we looked at the next little bit in Matthew's Gospel, so Matthew's story of Jesus' life. The Sunday before we had Peter's um, announcement, you are the Messiah, and last week on Sunday we had Jesus start to explain what it means that he's the Messiah, and particularly that uh, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer uh, many things uh, at the hands of the authorities there and be killed then rise Mm. on the third day. And Jesus was calling his disciples to come and follow him on that path of denying self, losing life for him to save life. Yeah. So my first question is actually not a question for you, Peter. (laughs) Sorry. It's a question for Gary, who was our guest preacher at Night Church, where we had confirmation. Yes, okay. Yeah, Bishop Gary. Uh, Now, Gary is obviously not here with us at the moment filming the extras, but... Gary used a story about a woman who went skydiving um, and the plane that she was on, the, the helicopter, I believe, was about to crash. And the instructor that she was partnered with had secured his harness to her. And as the plane was collapsing and falling, he told her that he was going to hold on to her and absorb all of the impact of the plane crashing and and pretty much Gary used that as an analogy for what Jesus does for us on the cross. Now, this question here says uh, it's it's wanting to know the follow-up to the story and the instructor whether or not he died. So I went and did some Googling myself, and I can say, sadly, he did actually die and gave his life for her, and he was only 22. Wow. Yeah, an amazing picture of that kind of Mm. sacrificial kindness to somebody else. Yeah, so he... Um, American and she is from Melbourne and she went to yeah do some skydiving and he ended up giving up his life for her so it was an amazingly heroic and sacrificial act. Peter you said something what okay so this question is Peter what is the Aramaic word for psyche does it still have the same connotations and pun i.e Jesus is playing in words so I wasn't here for morning church because I was at North Rocks when you preached can you tell me where is this question coming from first Why yeah. Is, yeah yeah sure so um we began a little bit talking about uh the Greek word psyche Uh, the Greek word psyche, which Jesus uses uh, a few times. Uh, So as you know, Candy, and as as, uh, listeners may know, um, the New Testament is originally written in Greek, and we have these very, very good English translations of it. And, but of course, whenever you're translating from one language to another, words are often don't match precisely uh, the connotations of other words. And so this word psyche has a pretty broad range. And we can see that Jesus uh, uses it and it's translated a couple of different ways. Uh, so in Matthew 16, 25, it says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Now there, Jesus uses the word psyche. Translated life. And there's a little footnote on the NIV and it says the Greek word means either life or soul, also mm. in verse 26. Yep. So in verse 26, it is translated soul. So it's this word with a broad range of meaning, psyche. So we were talking about that and I was suggesting another way we might translate it, you know, in our kind of contemporary idiom would just be self. Mm. So life, soul, self, these are all fair enough 
ways to translate uh, this Greek word psyche. Now, I think what lies behind the question is uh, our question uh, is uh, is clever and is aware um, that though the Bible is written in Greek, in uh, the common Greek of the time, the language Jesus spoke day to day was likely Aramaic. Mm. Now, um, Jesus probably did speak a bit of Greek because it's the kind of thing back then you need to speak a little bit of Greek to get along. It was the common language. Um, pretty possible he spoke a bit of Hebrew as well um, for going along to synagogue and, and the temple and that kind of thing, the, the, the ritual, retur- uh, liturgical, religious language, but probably spoke day to day in Aramaic mostly. So uh, in the Bible, there are puns, and often we kind of wonder, gee, I want, how did that work? This Greek pun, how would that have worked in the, in the Aramaic that Jesus originally spoke? Now, sometimes it seems like the biblical author um, might have sort of represented in Greek the gist of what Jesus said without using the exact words. Uh, but in this case, uh, the word psyche actually matches up with a pretty similar range of meaning to the Aramaic word nafshah, Mm. uh, which is related to the Hebrew word, which we find in our Old Testament a lot, nefesh. So similarly, again, that's someone's uh, life, what separates uh, a person from a corpse, but it's also somebody's kind of individuality, what separates a person from a person, their soul or their self. So psyche and nefesh both have a very similar range of meaning and so if Jesus was speaking in Aramaic using the word nafshah um, he could have been making a pun that worked exactly the same as we have it in the Greek uh, and as is represented in our English translation by this footnotes pointing out that Jesus could have meant life or soul or uh, as I suggest self. Hmm. Our next question seems to be linked to maybe what you were saying about the psyche or the self. This question is, is there a role of therapy in the Christian life in navigating the self? Because I'm guessing maybe, Peter, you spoke a bit about denying ourself, Mm. um, finding ourself in Jesus. So is there a role of therapy? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad for the question. It's a really helpful one. So I I think perhaps, um, so I suggested that the impulse to selfishness, the impulse to doing what's good for myself, even at the cost of other of, of other people, but that impulse is actually deeply rooted in ourselves. It's deeply tied up with ourselves and our sense of ourselves. Mm. That uh, this, you know, what um, this kind of inbuilt propensity to sin. To yeah self-preservation at all all cost yeah and i think when we look at what it means for jesus to deny himself it meant he had to be willing to lose his life it meant he had to be willing to be judged by god and lose lose that yeah so i I mean i think for jesus there's there's a distinction between uh us and him in that jesus uh, self uh, is, is is uniquely not uh, tied up with this kind of yeah he doesn't have original propensity. sin yeah so original sin is is what the theologians uh, call this and it's got to do with a, a distortion of our of our individuality a distortion of ourselves uh, our human nature would be another way to express it and so Jesus is a human being but his human nature is not distorted in the same way so for him he doesn't have an inbuilt uh, leaning towards sin, which is why he's able to live a righteous life and to, to save us. 
So in the in the sermon, I suggested that the um, that no no therapy can heal this brokenness, this twist, you know, this propensity to sin. Yeah in us and so I think that might be where this question is coming from now I think there is a role for therapy in the Christian life in navigating the self Uh, our selves uh, can be damaged in various kinds of ways or we may find ourselves to be limited in ways that we actually want to work on and want to seek help in doing that and I think it's entirely appropriate that we seek therapy um, whether Christian counsel uh, maybe from a professional counsellor or therapist uh, or even from a a secular counsellor it's wise for us to avail ourselves of uh, the wisdom that comes from these people, of course, you know, testing and submitting it to biblical wisdom, uh, testing it according to what God reveals to us in Scripture. I would say that no amount of therapy can cure our tendency to sin. That hmm. the Holy Spirit does that work, uh, and even even now in this life, it's something we'll be groaning and, and waiting for. You know, who will who will release me from this body of sin? We continue to cry until the day when uh, Jesus makes all things new. So, uh, yes, there's a role for therapy, but uh, in terms of undoing our tendency to sin, that's the work of the Spirit, and that work is only brought to completion at Christ's return. Mm. So, um, Peter, I'm gonna I'm gonna just sort of dig a bit deeper here. So it doesn't help with um, undoing our sinful nature what role do you think it does have like could you potentially speak a little bit on that yeah 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 I mean I guess in some sense we're not professionals in these sort of things and I mean I know for myself I haven't studied any psychology or anything but what role do you think it does have well I think a Chris, you know a Christian counsellor for example may be able to help us identify uh, some of the the workings of our uh, sinful nature and, mm. and where our um, habits of life or patterns of thought are actually um, captive to uh, captive to sin yeah. captive to a lie so uh, for example to, to the person who's um, oppressed with anxiety a counsellor may be able to them certainly not saying this is the case in every in every instance but but say for example perhaps possibly the a, a person oppressed with anxiety a counsellor may be able to help that person identify that they um they they have a, a real tendency to perfectionism hmm. they they're convinced that their sense of worth is bound up with their ability to perform at a high level and and they're anxious because they uh they sense that they may not always be able to maintain that level of, of perfection which is causing them so much trouble to to try to achieve at that high level and so fearful of what happens if they don't that it's causing great anxiety and and a christian counselor or a therapist may say Do you know that God's grace is for the imperfect? Hmm. That nobody is perfect, but God loves you despite your imperfections. God's love for you is not correlated with your ability to perform at a high level and may speak grace into uh, 
the consequences of our sin. So, so we, uh, our sinful nature results in a certain pattern of thinking that results in destructive, self-destructive habits of life. And a Christian therapist may actually be able to bring the gospel to bear in a psychologically insightful way mm. on our situation. Now, does that cure our sin? No, it doesn't. Does it wash away the guilt of our sin? No, Jesus does those things. Yeah. But does that help us to unpick and to uh, to live with, in a more healthy way, uh, some of the consequences of, of um, a sinful disposition of heart? Um, I think it, it can help with that. So yeah. that might be one way that that could work. Yeah, and I think sometimes this this feels a bit more complicated, isn't it? Because sometimes with sin, there's also, so for example, addiction involved in which something that we are created to enjoy becomes twisted. Mm. So for example, addiction to food, even like overindulgence of food mm. or pornography mm-hmm. or alcohol or mm. gambling. Um, it could be a, a. It could be, for example, food is created good, and God has given us that to be enjoyed. Mm. But it could be twisted, and I think um, so. There is a mixture of sin, but also something created within us that is good that's twisted, and it's good at that point to get professional help. And as you say, it doesn't wipe away our guilt before God. Um, ultimately, we need God's Spirit to renew us. His supernatural divine help and his new life within us to help us to walk and bear the fruit of the spirit but that doesn't mean that there is no wisdom and insight especially christian counselors can provide yeah yeah that's right and i think it's really helpful you've pulled out there that not every kind of psychological issue that we might experience uh, certainly wouldn't want to equate that in a very simple way with oh well you know you're anxious because you're sinful yeah uh the yeah, it, as you point out, it's much more complicated than that and often involves um, damage that might be done to us from outside of us, but also just the the, the imbalance of desires for good things that God has given to be enjoyed yeah. that we, um, yeah, that we just get really wrapped up in and uh, out of balance. Yeah, and sometimes once you, it's them. more even like once you start, you don't actually have an, it's not easy to stop. Like, so, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. Anyway, we, we want to move on to the next question. I mean, we're not professional, so, um, you know, take what we say with a grain of salt on mm-hmm. the on the role of therapy. I'm sure that a lot of people are trained in that would be helpful, but we can say from what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does help to change us, and that's great. Um, does God love people in hell? That is, does God love people that are... Yeah, so we've got actually... Two questions that have both come in, and I think that probably came from Gary's sermon where he talks about God's love for us. So Gary's sermon was on Romans 5.8 in talking about how um, while we were still sinners, Christ had died for us. And so this is how God proves his love. Like God, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so then this person's asking a question, well, um, if God loves us, does God love the people that are in hell? Um, I know Peter and I kind of before this podcast sat down and go, okay, what are, what are we going to say on this? And we had lots and lots of thoughts, but we thought this question was quite tricky. Yeah. So we, we thought maybe there are some parameters that we might be able to draw out as we, we think about this question of God loving the people that are in hell. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's really helpful. I, I mean, uh, some some theological questions are uh, relatively straightforward to answer in a, in a biblical way because you know the, a Bible verse will speak directly to it. So yeah. is, you know, is salvation by works? Uh, no, 
No. No, we believe people are not yeah. saved by works of the law and by, by through faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. We just, you know, go to Ephesians and it's very clear there. Yeah. We yeah. can't save by works. Yeah. yeah. Does God love the world? Yes. Yes. You know, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So sometimes theological questions are um, easily and kind of explicitly addressed by the scriptures. Uh, sometimes uh, theological questions, uh, the answers are more implicit in the scriptures. We need to do more theological work to come up with an answer. We need to kind of work from what is clearly and explicitly addressed to what isn't addressed. Uh, and our answers will necessarily be uh, more tentative. As yeah. we, so we can we can start and we can kind of use our God-given reason to try to uh, think theologically and rationally according to God's uh, God's revelation to us in Scripture. Yeah. So basically, it's we can't we don't have a verse in the Bible we can pull out to say you know God loves the people that are in hell you know you know Revelation whatever chapter whatever verse that verse doesn't exist. Uh, we need to pull together the other different biblical data on something that the Bible doesn't isn't very necessarily clear. And I mean I can't think of a passage that particularly deals with hell and judgment and and kind of pausing God's love at the same time. I mean, usually the language around that has to do with punishment um, and it has to, yeah, it, it has to do with with works as well. Like I can think of those kind of language around it, but yeah. So as we we try to have that talk about love, yeah. yeah. Peter, you're trying to say we need to pull in other data. That's right. Yeah. So what other data can you kind of yeah. So as you as you say, you know, there, there's uh, a strong, um, strong theme in the Bible of God's righteousness. That God is the uh, God is the just judge, who uh, rewards mm. people according to their works, and uh, who for who, for whom uh, evil works are actually uh, repaid with judgment with consequences. And yep. so, um, so I'll just give a quick one, right? So Revelation twenty-one eight. Um, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Mm. So just for example, even in this one particular verse, yeah, that's right. And uh, Revelation helpfully, you know, shows us God's uh, judgment. God's justice as something that God's saints are longing for and mm. they rejoice. They rejoice with singing when at last it arrives. Uh, so God's uh, judgment on sin, on evil, uh, is something in the Bible to be welcomed and, and to celebrate. Yeah. So you've got um, the martyrs who cry out to God, how long? Yeah. And then and God, um, when, yeah, when he judges them, that's there's, there's actually... There's actually rejoicing and singing over it. That's right. So God's uh, God's just judgment um, is uh, is a strong theme in the scriptures. His judgment on sin and uh, hell is uh, the biblical pe- picture of of the uh, of the execution of God's justice, God's judgment, and so uh, it's wrong. If we have a, a picture of hell as 
uh, the place where Satan is in charge, like a great mm. a great big torture chamber that Satan presides over, um, then our image of hell is is the wrong one. It's come um, probably from uh, uh, from Homer Simpson's Homer where, Simpson. where he eats <laughs> unlimited donuts and there's like a devil <laughs> waiting on the side. That's right. Yeah, I was going to say you know it's come from um, from from Dante, the Italian poet. Oh via, yeah, but yeah. Homer <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. So I'm not quite reading Dante. I'm watching The Simpsons, but Peter here will be able to tell us. That well, Dante. I mean, I think I mean modern culture is the channel through which we get this distorted picture that yeah. Satan is the Lord of Hell. Um, that's not the Bible's picture at yeah. all. And the the Bible, in in a sense, is, is pretty light on talking about uh, Hell. Uh, Gehenna, uh, the valley outside Jerusalem, becomes a kind of an image for Hell. So the place where refuse is is discarded and burnt up. Yeah, where, where things that are um impure uh and um and worthless are, are, are discarded and um incinerated um so that becomes a kind of an image for um for god's judgment yeah i mean in 2 Thessalonians 1 um it definitely doesn't doesn't seem like what you were saying about what well, we definitely get the sense that it's not some kind of devil chamber but the lord jesus he is completely in charge right because it's when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire verse 8 inflicting vengeance on those who do not know god and on those who do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his might so we we get that sense that Jesus is very much in charge, um, and so I think Peter, what you're uh, maybe sort of thinking about the question of does God love the people that are in hell? Well, we want to say that God is not sort of like fifty percent love and then fifty percent justice, and so it depends on which side of the coin you get him on the day, you know, or like if he if you're in hell, you're getting the fifty percent of the justice, but not the fifty percent of him that's love. But God is actually what we call simple, which is He's entirely of something. So God is entirely loving. There is not an action that God makes which contradicts the nature of His love, and does not in and yeah, that does not express his love. And so, I mean, in the sense of hell, we definitely see the Bible talking about in terms of expressing his justice, but his justice is not the absence of love. Um, and so it's not like 50% justice, 50% love. It's actually God is 100% loving. God is 100% just. And so those two things are not in contradiction to each other. Um, which then though, brings us back to the question of what about the people that are in hell? Does God love them? Yeah, yeah, that's helpful to start drawing those things together. So we've kind of looked at at, at biblically uh, a little bit of what it has to say about uh, justice, judgment, and hell. And you've helpfully brought out also what it has to say about God's love, that God is love, as, as John mm-hmm. says. Uh, and as you helpfully point out, God is simple. God is not, um, you know, there's not love arm wrestling with justice in God. God is love and God is consistent with himself. God uh, is unchanging. Mm. Uh, God's character, uh, He God acts always in accordance with his character. So God is loving uh, God because God is love. So how do we hold these things together? That God is love and yet there is uh, an uh, eternal punishment uh, for sinners. Mm. Now, this is uh, where we uh, have to do some theological work and where, where theologians have uh, tried to come up with different answers, different ways to hold these things together. So uh, there's various ways of doing this and, and various ways um, that 
might be regarded as, as more or less biblical. Some of these ways we'd want to say, well, I'm not really sure you could substantiate that from the Bible. No, yeah. And we did talk about it. I think um, a, a couple of episodes ago we talked about universalism, mm. we talked about analysis, and we talked about conscious torment and the three different kind of options and what were the data supporting in particular the question asked about analysis and in eternal conscious torment. So if you're interested in that, you can go back to the extras. I think it's the one that Lachlan and I did together. I can't remember which one it was, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So those would be some classic ways to try to to try to pull these things together um, to say that God's God's love means that um, ultimately hell is empty. That mm-hmm. all yeah. all are all are saved. So that would be universalism, uh, or to say that God's love means. Uh, People are judged justly, but uh, they don't exist eternally in torment. Their um, being is extinguished. They're annihilated. Yeah. So annihilation is... It's hard to say. Annihilation is... <laughs> you got it. Uh, or another you know, example would be, as you say, that some kind of enduring people experience uh, in an ongoing way. Hell is an ongoing experience for people who are judged according to God's justice. But that that experience and that justice and what they're receiving at God's hand is not incompatible with his love, but is in some sense an expression of his love, yeah. an expression of his, uh, we, we could say perhaps, his uh, enduring commitment and affirmation of what he made those people to be originally and uh, his uh, refusal to acquiesce in the warping of that original creation, that original nature by sin and his expression of rejection of what has happened Mm. uh, in love for what he created at the first. That might be one way to uh, try to pull those things together. Thank you, Peter. But perhaps it's worth saying that you know, biblically, this is, as we pointed out right at the start of this, now quite a long answer. <laughs> uh, we're not operating in the realm of um, a description that the Bible kind of steers straight at. Yeah. And I think it's actually worth taking that on board. The message of uh, the message of the Bible is is not to give us, um, in 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 Dante style, a, a extensive um, portrait of what hell looks like. The Bible just doesn't want anybody to go there. I mean, now is the favourable time. Now is the day of salvation. The Bible says, turn to the Lord Jesus, have your sins forgiven. So in a sense, if you're asking, what's what's hell like? That is not really where the Bible wants our our focus to be. But in fact, the availability of salvation and the the, the senselessness that anybody should reject the love of God and and set themselves away from it uh, forever. No, God's love is available to all. God's mercy is poured out on all. The gospel is available to all. And we have to tell anyone who will hear uh, that, that no one need experience anything but the love and the fellowship yeah. of God forever. Yeah. And Lachlan and I, over dinner last night, we were running a little thought experiment, just talking about this particular passage in Matthew as well. And we kind of said, how much would someone have to give you for you to eat a cockroach? Mm. So, Peter, okay. how much do you think someone would have to give you to eat? And this is just bouncing this question on you. This is like, wow, this question... Uh, yeah, did not come from the extras. Anyway, we were like saying, if you do a thought experiment, say it was like $500 or yeah. maybe more, you know, yeah. maybe it's $1,000. Okay. Then you escalate it, right? You go, 
well, what about your arm? How much does someone have to pay you for you to cut your arm off? Now, what if they gave you a billion dollars? Would you would you give up your arm for a billion dollars? Sorry, I'm just Googling the prices of bionic arms. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Have a look at that. And then, um, and then we kind of escalate and go, well, what about if you have to be in prison? What about if you had to be in prison for the rest of your life till you die, but you get to rule the world? Somehow in your little prison cell, you get to rule your world. Would you do it? Or you get unlimited money. Would you do it? You get all the diamonds. Would you do it? And I think for most of us would say, no, we would not do that. And Jesus's question is, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The, the, the weight of the judgment to come, Jesus says, you can't give anything in exchange for your soul. And that's why he had to die for us, because that is when we think about hell and we think of the weight of that, there is nothing we can do and nothing, nothing we can gain that is worth exchanging our soul for. So that the weight of that, when you really think about it, what Jesus does for us on the cross is incredible. And that's why hell is, is a horrifying place and God doesn't, yeah, God doesn't want us there. That's why Jesus died for us. So yeah. Anyway, so we ran a little thought experiment of how much we'll eat cockroaches for <laughs> and end up with, you know, prison. What's your price, Candy? Oh, look, I was like, I I don't think I'll do it for anything. <laughs> Not for anything? <laughs> Too spoiled. Maybe, oh look, maybe if we get a new DA, if we got the new church building, I'll eat a cockroach. Wow, you heard it here first, Extras. Yeah. So yeah, if any of you wants to fund the new building... <laughs> I will, I will eat more than one. I'll eat 10 cockroaches. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So. so, yeah, if any of you, I don't think any of you wants to do that, though, yeah. you know, but maybe if you Texas do. Text us if you do. It takes us if you do. Last question. Um, thank you, Pete, for your clear message and the challenge to lose ourselves to find Jesus. Could you suggest maybe some next steps for how people can do that and what that would look like? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, so, in a sense, in the sermon, we kind of stayed at the at the the big level. You know, just talking in the in the biggest sense about Jesus' call to deny ourselves uh, and to follow Him. And I think you know the question I kind of rightly asks. Okay, well, you know, what would that what would that kind of look like in your life? And there's something we talked about a little bit at various kinds of services. Um, you know, through through the day. Like, does that mean just Anytime you want to do something, just do the opposite of that and, and, and then yeah. you'll be right. I want to get an ice cream. Don't do that. Deny myself, you know. Right, right, right. Um, and, you know, I think that's not that's not the answer. Just everything you want, the opposite. <laughs> and, then, and then you'll be following Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to suggest that, you know, that asking the question, you know, what do I want? What will I find personally satisfying and enjoyable in this situation I think remains uh, something that we would want to ask mm. you know as we as we think about decisions uh, large and small um, but we would put that within in a bigger frame you know within the frame of well, what what honors God uh, what loves the neighbor uh, and you know, one example that we talked about a little bit at um, Afternoon Church was actually the idea of um, marital faithfulness. Uh, so, uh, 
a million times, you know, you've seen the movie or the TV show and the basic plot is, you know, somebody, uh, they go to a new situation, they experience uh, all kinds of new things, they're disoriented from their normal life and they start to find uh, out they can become a completely different person. And no doubt somebody is there, somebody very attractive to them. <laughs> very funny, you know, very interesting as around. That's right, and different. And they start to find out, oh, with this person I can really be myself. I can really become a whole new person. I can explore a side of myself I never knew was there. And it's wonderful. And, you know, by the end, every time, I'm cheering. I'm cheering, yeah, you got to leave that deadbeat. Get with this guy. Your life will be so much better. And so the script is written for us, say, when we you know, go away to a conference for a couple of days for a work thing and we meet this person over drinks one night and, you know, they're funny and uh, we find, you know, that we can be, we feel like we can really be ourselves with them and lots of the pressures in our normal life are just not there with them and it feels really great. And you think, well, shouldn't I just, isn't this telling me something, this feeling, this feels so good, shouldn't I just be myself with this person? The script is written for us, right? But... That's a time at which it would be appropriate to deny ourselves, to deny that feeling out of obedience to God. Uh, say if, we, if we're a married person, made promises before God, before God's church, to another person out of obedience to God, out of love to that person, uh, out of love to the person to whom we have committed ourselves, uh, that it's actually right to say, well, yes, I have certain desires uh, in this moment and feelings and uh, there are certain opportunities open to me but I'm going to actually subordinate those desires to my desire to be obedient to God, to my desire to love my husband, to love my wife and uh, I'm not going to be myself in the way that I could be by being with this person. I'm going to choose faithfulness to my promise, faithfulness in my marriage. Mm. So that that's one example. That might not be an everyday example, but it seems to me that that is uh, one kind of important way that we might go about living out uh, denying ourselves mm. uh, and instead finding ourselves in obedience to God and love of the neighbour. Yeah, and even for single people, we have to kind of think about... Um, celibacy and what that looks like and upholding mm. biblical vision of marriage and what that looks like for those of us who aren't married or was married but are not anymore um so yeah i think it's really helpful to think about how we obey god's commands and subordinate ourselves um to that peter what's happening this coming sunday in terms of preaching what passage are we preaching on um what should we potentially what will be helpful to think about as we as we kind of look to what's next Sunday. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the next part of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. So it's what's known as the transfiguration yep. or the transformation. Jesus is yeah. transformed. When he becomes his clothes, it's like a laundry ad, you know, very bright white. <laughs> yeah, very bright white. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so this happens, um, and it's a, it's a really big moment uh, in the gospel, uh, kind of really... Um, fascinating and powerful moment uh and yeah if you want to think about something maybe you could think about what are moses and elijah doing there good question 
yeah, for some reason they make a cameo next to uh, Jesus, shining in his bright white clothes. Yeah. Why are they there? Mm. That might be something to ponder before we get to Sunday. Yeah. And um, feel free to keep sending your questions in on our text line and we'll get to them um, yeah, next week on the extras. Thanks. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.